I don't know if my attire is acceptable today, but listen, it's still break kind of, and it's cold. So hopefully I'm not taking too advantage, much advantage of our casual nature in my joggers and hoodie. All right. I don't know if I really need to move all this. I don't think I ever moved quite this much, do I? But in my head, I think I'm going to. And why am I right in front of a speaker? What is this today? This is odd. Well, good morning. I'm excited to be with you today. Hopefully you're excited as well, just to, if not with me, at least together. Um, today, I'm going to jump right in and not spend a lot of time on my introductions like I tend to, um, and then race through the rest, because I'll probably have to race through the rest anyway. Uh, I put a lot of time into this, as you guys know I tend to do, and so we we divided this last sermon up into two parts, and uh, so today is part two, if you weren't here last week for part one, I don't know if it's a spectacular sermon or not, but certainly the message that I was going after is spectacular. Am I saying that weird? Spectacular, spectacular. And uh, so I would encourage you to go back in and listen to that on the website. If you're not familiar with that website, then uh, somebody can show you and uh, pull that up. And then I'm sure it will change your life. So what we've been talking about is briefly, Garrett and Aaron and Tori and I just talked about what's a good way to kick off the year. We didn't have anything planned for the 31st when that Advent series got done. And we wanted to do something kind of about New Year's resolution without having the New Year's resolution talk because I feel like a lot of us shut down, myself included, when that comes. I do like to set goals and whatnot, but I know some of that can become a little bit mundane. And uh, so I had been reading a book and thinking through just this idea about the kingdom, which is not new to us. We talk a lot about the kingdom of God here. We talk a lot about how it's now. We talk about, uh, about how it's not fully here. And I was just expressing that I think I've noticed in my own life, I still emphasize the future aspect more than anything else. And so I really wanted to push on the nowness of the kingdom. I know that that's something we believe. And so this can be easy to look at on the surface and be like, ah, this is, this is simple, you know, for the simpleton or whatever. But it's not. This is deep stuff. People write books on this and still proclaim that they know nothing about it. And so I would really encourage you to get in the nooks and crannies of your mind and prayer with God and think about how you exhibit the fullness of the kingdom now and if you do and what you need to do as a result. So last week was perhaps maybe a little bit more academic, I guess you could say. Uh, I wrote a lot of my sermon down, which is not my typical uh, kind of mode of operation, but uh, I wanted to get through a lot of those lines of thought. And so today is going to be much more practical. I will say this, I, I am I don't want to say this against practicals. I'm all for practicals, and I think they're important. Certainly, practicals keep us a lot of times from action, and we do have the willingness. We do have the readiness. But sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes we know all the practicals, and we can be given all the practicals in the world, but what lacks is the conviction, and what lacks is the love and the understanding of the value in God and His kingdom that forms those convictions. Amen? And so I would hope that you would see that as kind of a two-sided coin. Today I want to give you practicals, but I want you to look deeper within to see, do you still lack the convictions? Do you still lack the love? Have you missed the value? Have you missed really what's going on? I don't want to beat you over the heads with this. This is a very positive message, but there is a very stern warning here. Last week, we, I guess I would say probably the center and the thrust of the message was Luke 3.9. And we talked about John the Baptist and his message and how Jesus adopted this and confirmed it and continued to push it in his own way. 
But Luke 3, 9 again is, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The axe is at the root of the tree. I repeated that a lot. I'll probably repeat it too much today. But it's a, it's a sober warning. And the thing that I was trying to get at again was the immediacy of the gospel, the immediacy of the, of the judgment. John believed then, as Jesus also believed, and the New Testament has adopted this message, that the axe is at the root of the tree. It's a paradox because we look at it as though it was 2,000 years ago. It didn't happen then. It's not happening now. No, he's saying it's happening now. Judgment is happening. You have no more time to, to deliberate. Do it. Do it now. Choose now. You can't wait any longer. There's so many parables that deal with this issue of being not prepared. You think about the ten virgins and the oil and the lamps. We just misunderstand this issue of immediacy. And I get it. I struggle with it myself, but I really want to get that point across, and I hope that you'll perfectly consider that today. So my practicals are very simple. And I I hope you don't turn your ears off to them. Number one is just going to be make time for God and His people. Make time for God and His people. My second practical is going to be about saying yes to kingdom opportunities. And my third practical that will carry us to about 1.30 will be um, say no to all ungodliness. So make time for God and His people. We quote the greatest commandment a lot, don't we? You guys know the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. I quote it a lot in my own life because it's something that that helps me kind of redirect myself because there's just so much on display. You know my passion for God, and I know many of your passions for God, but it's just easy to get distracted. It's easy to get off track. So I don't think it's so much that we don't understand that He needs to be our priority or our prioritizer, however you want to put that, right? It's kind of fashionable to say, He needs to be top priority, and then somebody else wants to say, no, He needs to be your prioritizer. And I agree with all of that. He needs to be our top priority, and He needs to set the priorities. Amen? But either way, He needs to be at the forefront. But I think that that's simpler said than done, because there's so much psychology wrapped up in this, Right? People are complex. Our ideas, Ronnie talks a lot about this theme, right? This idea of seeing God, seeing you. That a lot of our faultiness of putting God first, I still think comes from our faulty perceptions of who God is and what He wants from us. It's our faulty perceptions of how He sees us and how He would even want to use somebody like me if He would even use somebody like me. And those are difficult things to work through that I don't think I'll be able to clear the fog with today. But that's something that's best done in community and certainly in prayer. But I would just simply say, He deserves it because He gave His all. Right? We love because He first loved us. And it starts there. It starts with understanding that you're a part of a greater, grand narrative of a man, the God-man, that came and gave His all for you. That lived the best life, so you in turn could end up living the best life. A life to the full. That's what we quoted last week. That He came to give life and He came to to give it abundantly. I would hope that you're coming to a point, if not already there, that you're coming to this realization that on your own, you can know very little of living in fullness. That's what I was trying to get at last week. I, I see lots of things that I know satisfy me, 
but I fail to remember constantly that they'll never fulfill me. And yet we're just, you know, walking around like little idiots doing the same thing, trying to fulfill ourselves in the same ways, and uh, that formula doesn't work. And I hope you would understand Jesus doesn't just have something to teach us on this front. Jesus is the fulfillment himself. If you want fulfillment, you have to go to Jesus and get Jesus. That's why I love so much of what Ronnie talks about when he talks about, you know, if you get Jesus right, you'll get your doctrine right. And so many people are obsessed with getting their doctrine right first and they get Jesus wrong. Jesus has to set everything in motion and put everything in line for us. So some quick practicals. How do I do this? This is not going to be comprehensive. These are things that I just felt like the Spirit laid on my heart. First, understand that seeking Him precedes making Him first in your life. Seems like a no-duh. But it's not to so many of us. You have to seek Him. You're not just going to wake up one day and value Him above everything else. We talk a lot about this. Again, it's another basic practical of you cultivate the loves in your life. If you want to love Jesus more than anything in your life, you have to choose to cultivate it. It's a choice that you make. And if you keep waiting for your, your you know, kind of that wave of hunger, you know, that you finally want that one thing, you know what I'm talking about, we do that with food, you know, you're, you're going to miss out on a lot of time you could have had true fulfillment. Or you're just going to put it off forever. Say no to lesser things. And that's where I think a lot of us have a, a... One of my bigger frustrations, I think, as a minister is this right here. It's, it's people not saying yes to bad things. They're just saying no. They're, they're saying yes to lesser things. It's one of my bigger frustrations with track guys. And, and it's a two-sided coin because I've really tried to encourage them. On one side, I see them missing track because it, a lot of this is, they've grown up out of, and some of them haven't. But they'll miss track because they're changing somebody's tire, or a family comes in town, or whatever that is. They're helping people. And that's good and great. But at what cost? At what cost? If people know that you'll miss, and they know they can always count on you, they'll take and take and take and take and take. It's kind of like the principle of the poor you're going to have with you always. I could easily go out and tell myself that I'm going to save all the poor and I could not end up doing very much. But I could end up giving everything I have and spend myself silly and then have nothing else to give. Or I could think about, okay, I've got to think about this as true investment. Where am I going to get the best bang for my buck in the kingdom of God? And sometimes that's no to saying, that sometimes that's saying no to good things in order to say yes to the better thing. And that takes a lot of wisdom. It's difficult, right? It's difficult. And sometimes we're going to disagree perhaps on what that best thing is, but we need the body to sharpen us in that regard. I need the body to sharpen me in that regard. I, I know that growing up, generally speaking, there was no place I would rather be as we sing in that song. But there are times where I, I would reach out to John and say, hey, what do you think about me missing for this? And most often it was a no. I would not say never, but most often. And there are sometimes I struggle with that. And there are sometimes I said, yeah, you're right. It was a struggle, but I'm glad that he did that. And I hope that you have people in your life that challenge you on that front too. Don't slide on com kingdom commitments first. There's times where we have to back off. You guys, most of you know where I am in my life right now um, with my babies in the NICU. And, um, you know, this last six, seven months has just been a whirlwind and it's going to continue to be with Brooks coming home with the tracheostomy. I don't really know what my new routine is going to look like. And so... It's certainly a blessing to not have pressure from the leaders and from you guys to do more. Everybody would understand if I just didn't show up. 
to whatever. But I don't want to operate that way. I would much rather show up and people will be like, why the heck are you here? Leave. You know what I mean? Because that says something about how I value the kingdom. I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to set myself up as the standard. I'm here doing what I do because of the model so many of you have laid before me. And, and I believe in it because I believe the kingdom is worth it. But too many of us, we pick the kingdom stuff first because we've bought into this idea that the stuff of the world can be mandatory, but the stuff of, kingdom, of the kingdom never can be because that's too legalistic. Maybe you don't like me putting it that way. Maybe that's my, my CTF background, but I see so much of that in the minds of our teens and the minds of our parents and the minds of our people in our society. We allow the world to demand far more of us than we would ever allow the kingdom to. That is a problem, is it not? That's a problem. Is that a cough or a boom? I would have liked it if it was like a boom. That was a good point. Boom. <laughs> Shit, we started using that word. It's like the new amen. Boom. <laughs> Be strategic. Plan ahead. We talk about this one a lot. This is one of the most basic ones. I'm surprised how many people don't show up to retreat or to a you know, leader retreat, all church retreat, to, you know, whatever we're doing, you know, the classes that we do, the workshops that Ronnie puts on, you name it, because we didn't plan ahead and we didn't plan to be there. Of course, there's times to miss. I feel like we've clarified that to death. We're not a legalistic church. You're not going to go to hell because you don't make it to everything. But you have to look in your heart. What do you really want to be at and why are you truly not there? What are you teaching your kids when you're not there? What are you teaching yourself? What are you teaching the rest of the body? Because other people are looking for other people to use as their excuse. And you may just be that person. Make time for, making time for God is largely about making time for His people. I think we've made that well established within our, within our sermons up here. You know, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, go to where His people are. Because that's where He's at work. We buy into this idea that, you know, wherever two or three are gathered, you know, that's where God is. And I kind of mix that in with I do Jesus at home and that satisfies me and I've convinced myself that satisfies God. Maybe it does. I just don't see that in Scripture. And I'm certainly not saying you're not saved, but I think that there's something far more better on offer. And don't let the world steal what matters most. We're very familiar, I think, with the parable of the sower. I'm going to read through it just real quick. This is in Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Now listen to this. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused, 
They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your ears because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. That's powerful. I don't care how many times you read that. That's powerful. That's a, that's a tough warning. I do not want to be in the class of people that are ever hearing but never understanding. I do not want to be in the class of people ever seeing but never perceiving. I do not want to be in the class of people with a calloused heart, and I know I easily can be. I want to see. I want to see the kingdom. Don't you? I don't want the matters of the world to choke out what matters most. So think about that simple question. What's being snatched away by the rocks, the birds and thorns in your life? Are you ever hearing but never understanding? Ever seeing but never perceiving? Is your heart calloused? And if so, what are you going to do about it? I think the best place is just to start on your knees in prayer and say, God, I'm sorry. I want to be this way. I want to be here. I don't know how to get there. That is an okay place to start. Be honest with Him. Say yes to kingdom opportunities. This is my second point. How do we say yes? I would say simply four points. Prepare, expect, surrender, and trust. And I'm not going to say much about these because I think they're self-explanatory, but I'd hope that you'd write them down and you would uh, think through each of these. Prepare. There's, there's a million ways to prepare. Do you surround yourself with godly people? Do you spend your time in prayer? Do you read godly things? Do you read the Word of God? Do you talk about the Word of God when you're with your godly people? Do you prepare? Do you think about the implications of the decisions of your life and where they're going to lead you? Even the things that seem like that they're mundane, where you're going to live, what car you're going to drive. Expect. Do you listen with purpose? I know for me, I struggle with this. Even as somebody that has been blessed and I feel like God has spoken to me powerfully in my life many times, I still at times, don't expect Him to answer my prayer. Because I still expect the wrong things. I want dramatics. I want the fan flare. Fair. Fan flare? Fair? You know, I want, I want, I want something big. I want something that's going to give me great clarity and no doubt. And I want Him to speak over, over all of my noise in my life. I don't want to make space because I'm already too busy. I'm already too tired. I don't want to have to go do the difficult work of going to meet God in the quiet place. But you think about Elijah and his victory over the prophets of Baal. What does Elijah learn? That God speaks in the still, small voice. And that it doesn't often come with dramatics. Can it? It certainly can, and we see that. But that's not his typical mode. We have to stop expecting that. If you want to hear the voice of God, you can. But you've got to make space for it. And you've got to trust He's going to speak, and He's going to speak in your time. And if He's not speaking in the way you like then still listen. There's still something to be heard. There's still something, something to be learned. There's still something in you that needs to be transformed. 
You can be sure at all times God is working. God is working. Surrender. This is the toughest one, I think. Are you willing to surrender to the consequences and sacrifices required by your yes? Are you willing to give up whatever it requires you to give up? Or is your yes dependent? And what is it dependent on? What is it most dependent on? I'll, I'll, I'll share about this in a minute, but I'll just kind of repeat myself when I get to it. I think one of my... Something I relate to, so I'm not throwing stones, but again, a frustration as a minister is most often, I feel like, I'm not a mind reader or a heart reader, my impression is that most often when I ask people to step up to the plate and do something, even small things, it's their discomfort that keeps them from doing it. Now, we like to, to put a lot around that. We don't like to say that's really what it is, but I think that's usually what it is. You know, and it manifests itself in we, we doubt ourselves. We don't think God is calling us. I don't think I'll do a good job. I'll mess it up. Whatever that is, I get it. Guys, we've all probably been there at some point in time. But too often, it's not really about God why we're saying no. We're just selfish. We don't want it to be uncomfortable. Guys, I am not some natural sermon preacher giver. I have a lot of passion, and God uses that. But I've felt a great amount of discomfort consistently in preaching. It's not easy. And we, we are in a community where so many people preach, and I can tell you they would all say the same thing. It's not easy. I doubt myself. I don't like preaching sometimes the things I feel like the Spirit laid on my heart. I often don't say them the right way, or I'm not sure if I said them the right way. You get done with the sermon. Some people hated it. Some people loved it. It's, it's difficult to make heads or tails of what you're doing, and you're watching so many other people with so many different styles, and you respect them all, and you want to emulate them all, but you can't. At some point, you have to be yourself and who God called you to be, and that's difficult to discover. It's, give, it's difficult to learn. There's so many things up here that you have to try to focus on. You're just trying to get the message out and not saying something heretical, and then at the same time, you're sitting over here flapping your hands, and you didn't know what you, that you were doing that. You're doing something weird and annoying. Nobody even heard what you said. It's, uh, it's a lot to focus on. I don't even go back and listen to my sermons. It's embarrassing. I don't even want to know. Just leave it between you and the Spirit. But I just say that to say, guys, people have gone before you and they know what it's like to be uncomfortable. They know what it's like to get down and not to have done a good job. There are plenty of sermons that were a wreck that I gave. And there are the other ones that I left feeling that, like I did a good job. But that's the sacrifice I give to God because this is something I think He called me to do. I don't think it's anything greater, but it's something that He called me to do and I want to be faithful with it. I want you to be faithful with what God called you to do. If that's get up and read a scripture, if that's lead a prayer... That's lead a small group, whatever it is. You don't have to be perfect. Just be obedient. (laughs) And then trust. Just trust that God knows what He's doing. How many eons of time have to go by for us to see and trust God's track record? He knows what He's doing. He uses imperfect tools and somehow does perfection. Does He not? And He has great grace for it. He chose to use the imperfect tool. He did. What do we say yes to? A few things to consider. I would just say yes in the moment. Say yes in the moment to fellowship, to prayer, 
the study of the word. I really want to emphasize Ronnie's workshops and all the retreats. Guys, so much time and heart and prayer goes into this stuff. As a missional church, these are some of the most missional things we do. For you to miss them, guys, don't miss them for small stuff. If you got to miss, make sure it's big. And then we'll understand. We'll understand. Most of us. Right? Some of us heathens won't understand. Brian Pham won't understand you. But I will understand you. Just kidding. Brian's the best. He's better than me. Say yes to discipling opportunities. We talk a lot about this. Who are you discipling? Are you fit to disciple somebody? Are you, and if not, are you trying to get to a place where you are fit to disciple somebody? Are you letting people into your life? I still know a lot of people here. A lot may be a stretch. I still know people in this community that have been coming here for a long time that still don't have people that challenge them because they don't want it and they've fended them off. And I get it. I'm not throwing stones. It's difficult. It's difficult to listen to that stuff. You guys have heard me and my testimony all growing up, my, uh, which is one of the reasons it can be hard to preach here because many of you know me when I was 16. That's very different me. Um, and many of you are very different, and I know your stuff too. Just kidding. But I'll just go to Ronnie to get it, you know? Um, I don't even, that just threw me off. What was I talking about? Got to learn my lessons. I, don't, I can't chase rabbit trails. Um, but yeah, we, we need, oh yeah, it's just that I, growing up, my, my, my weakest point was just not taking challenge. And uh, there can be a lot that could be said about that, but none of those are great excuses. And as I grew up and I learned to value that and not take it personal, it was the beginning of my growth. And I would say if that's the thing that's holding you back, stop. It can be the beginning of your growth. People that are willing to challenge you are the people that love you most, right? It's, a, it's an unpleasant truth. John and Ronnie have said a many things that have made me very, very angry. But there's nobody I respect and love more. And it's partly for that reason. When people ask you to step up to the plate, just do it. Just do it. There's a time, certainly for prayer, right? I, I've not surveyed you all on this, but I feel like something within our, I don't know, I would say our community, just within Christendom as a whole, I think it's easy to want to go and pray about everything and ask for clarity and know for sure this is what God's wanting me to do before I say yes. Is there a time and place for that? Of course there is. But there's also a time and place just to say, there's a kingdom opportunity in front of me and somebody believes that I'm fit to do it and they invited me to do it, I'm just going to say yes. Boom. Two official booms, one maybe boom. That's, that's how I'm going to rate my sermons. I like that. But don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit with going and waiting for that clarity. Just say yes. If a, if a minister believes that you can do something, you can bet that the Spirit has probably spoken that to them. If you're sitting there thinking, like, why the heck would they come to me? It was probably from the Spirit. We have to be very careful with our but Lord responses. We have so many of those examples, right? 
but Lord, like, not me. I'm not good at that. Be careful with that. It's certainly healthy, I think, to, to be aware of our deficiencies, but not to the degree it keeps, them, keeps us from disobedience. There's a story of a man. I don't know if it's true or not. I would assume it is. It sounds true. But, um, you know, it's hard to establish for sure a lot of this kind of stuff. But there's a story um, about a man that went to Mother Teresa asking for uh, prayer, for clarity. And her response to him was, I've never had clarity and certitude. I only have trust. I'll pray you trust. Prepare to say yes in the future. You'll likely not be prepared in the present if you fail to prepare to say yes in the past. As you fail to say yes now, you're failing in some regard to say yes in the future. The Wrights got me this uh, mug for Christmas that just says, be careful or you will end up in my sermon. We've (laughs) joked about that in the past. Yeah. Devin's been on the short end of that stick a few times. But so have I. I earned my place. So... Um, I'm not going to name any names today, uh, so just know next time I might. But I've already kind of mentioned a couple of my, my bigger frustrations, and one of them is just saying no to small opportunities. I got one this year, and I'm not ragging on this person. I don't want you to feel bad or shame. Again, I'm not saying your name, but you're not the only one that said it. Maybe next year. Maybe next time. What? If you're not willing to do something so small as read a scripture in front of your community, why would I ask you next time? I don't mean that in any nasty sentiment, like, I'm not going to ask him again. I just, like, why would I? If you've shown yourself to be completely unwilling to step up to the plate, even on such a small plate, why would you expect that opportunity to come back around again? Is that a fair point? And luckily, God is very gracious, and He's patient, and He gives us other opportunities. But listen... We shouldn't expect those. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. God initiates, and if He gives you a task to do, do it. Do it. I was, I was very close to naming names today, but Jamie Ann was very adamant I didn't. So I'm just going to respect my wife as a good husband and let you punks off the hook. The other one is people that are still just missing church on a regular basis. People that have come here and been ministered to and given their lives to God and been baptized and been discipled to countless hours that are just missing frivolously. What are we doing? It's what I was talking about last week. To think that you can just come and loiter around the kingdom and think that you're a part of what's going on is illogical. You can't. You can fool yourself, as we say, but you cannot fool God. He knows if you're a part of His kingdom. What is enough for you may not be enough for Him. It's that idea. I think I shared it last week. I shared a lot just because it's in my mind a lot where Mark Royal had asked a group of guys this question of like, how holy do you want to be? We talk a lot about holiness as being set apart for God and His purposes. How set apart for God and His purposes are you? What notions and ideas have you got from the world that are dictating that? Are they from Scripture? Are they from the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11? Or are they from your old youth worker? Or from Joe Rogan podcast? God forbid. Where are they from? We need to assess those. 
as disciples, as students, students of thought, students of the Word, people of reason, we need to think through this stuff. We need to think through the things that are holding us back. So I would, I would really hope that I would just encourage you to jump on stuff quickly. Don't doubt yourself. And if you do, don't doubt God. Just go for it. Because we are a church that can handle failure. I think about this all the time. How much bravery it required for Ronnie to get up and let a young me preach. And so many others. They have no idea what we're doing. We have no formal training. We just have a love of Christ and a love of people and a bit of obedience. And we're stepping out in our trepidation and trying to be faithful to what God has called us. That's the community that you're in. We don't expect perfection. We expect obedience because that's what God equivocates with love. I will know that you love me when you obey me. We need people to step up and take on roles in the kingdom of God. Believe it or not, God wants to use you. And this is really in line with what Reed was talking about. The growth of the kingdom thus far is a testament to that very fact. He uses imperfect tools and yet works perfection. And therein lies the glory. I'm doing... Okay, I'm going to skip that. We're at 1126. Here we go. Last point. Doing pretty good, right? You guys with me? Last point. Yeah. Last point. Say no to all that is ungodly. Titus 2, 11 to 14 is a really neat passage. He says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to, to, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And again, if I didn't re-clarify at the beginning, these practicals are meant to kind of answer the question I asked last week of how do we seek the kingdom in its fullness today, right? How do we seek fullness today? I make time for God and His people. I seek kingdom opportunities, and I have to throw off the sin that easily entangles me, right? I have to say no to all ungodliness. That's what we're answering here. A pastor by the name of Scott Hubbard puts it like this. The no of self-control is not the calm no of a wedding RSVP. It's the terrible no of self-denial, of refusing to gratify the inner beast that barks for satisfaction. Self-control can feel like severing an arm or tearing out an eye. But God's word doesn't merely describe the anguish of self-control. God meets us in that dreadful moment and tells us how we can meet our sin at the door. Hear its desperate pleas, and still say no. So many of us have never felt that terrible feeling of ripping off the arm because we don't say no. And I beat myself up about this. I I love and hate what Ronnie says when he says, just stop sinning on purpose. That's not what Jesus died for. 
I hate enough the sin that just happens in the moment because I'm a sinful fool. But I really, really desperately hate the sin that I plan. Do you hate the sin that you plan? He goes on to say, when the grace of God appears, He does not merely lift a calm hand and pronounce forgiveness over our adultery. Grace rolls, up it, grace rolls up its sleeves and starts to fight. Grace hunts down every graceless enemy of our souls. Or as Paul puts it, grace takes us by the hand and begins to train us to say no to sin. To accept the reign of God is to understand once again that the axe is at the root of the tree. To say you accept that there is no time to delay, judgment is imminent, and then willfully go on with your old sin is a fool's errand. Amen? There's no sacrifice left for that. I've been reading John Owen again. I've, I've talked about him up here before. Some of you maybe have read him as well, but he was a great Puritan preacher back in the 1600s, and he wrote a lot on the mortification of sin as an idea, but he also has a book just simply called The Mortification of Sin, and I can't highlight and encourage you to read that book enough. It's a little bit of a kind of a Latinized English, but you can get updated versions that are easier to read, and so I really hope that you'd consider that. But I'm rereading it. I, I, I've told people after I read it that I just felt like there was no place to hide. I felt like a little stinking bug that was crawling under every rock and some big human was just lifting up every rock and I had nowhere else to go. He, he has a really uh, uh, neat way of just uh, cutting to the chase on every little excuse and every little thing that I use to kind of hide. But this is what he says on this point. He says, Now this is first the most unjust and reasonable thing in the world. When two combatants are engaged to bind one and keep him from doing his utmost, and to leave the other at liberty to wound him at his pleasure. And second, the foolishest thing in the world, to bind him who fights for our eternal condition, and to let him alone who seeks and violently attempts our everlasting ruin. The contest is for our lives and souls, not to be daily employing the spirit and new nature for the mortifying of sin, is to neglect that excellent succor which God hath given us against our greatest enemy. If we neglect to make use of what we have received, listen to this, God may just lay hold His hand from giving us more. His graces as well as His gifts are bestowed on us to use, exercise, and trade with. Not to be daily mortifying sin is to sin against goodness, kindness, wisdom, grace, and love of God, who hath furnished us with the principle of doing it. Oof. That's the whole book. So strap up if you read that sucker. A couple quick points, and I'll wrap us up. Saying no isn't enough. You have to learn to live in the Spirit and according to the new nature that's been given to you. And you have to rely on the Spirit We say this a lot, but it's not just digging deeper within and exerting more of your own power. It's living in accordance with the Spirit and relying on the Spirit. I would say, second, do the work to see your sin for what it truly is. This is one of the most overlooked points, I think. I talk about this a lot, specifically in regards to pornography with men. See the ugly nature of your sin for what it is. And whatever your sin is, we like to live in the fantasy realm. We don't want to see it for what it is, do we? We know it's false. We know it's unreality. But we're happy there. That's sick. 
That's sick. Teach yourself to hate sin. God hates sin. Go and look at the ugly side of pornography. Go and look at the ugly side of your sin. That way when it pops back up, you can't help but see what's really going on. And you have to try extra hard to go back into that fantasy realm. And you may a couple times. But the more that you work to see it for what it is, the less you're going to go back down that road. The Spirit will teach you to hate your sin. Thirdly, run. Run away quickly. Act decisively. Next, remember the sorrows and shames of the past. This is something that I've been doing a lot the last couple of years. Kind of as a second part of seeing the ugly side of, of my sin is remembering what it brings. Because I get so captivated with what's right here in the immediate feeling of what I want. I'm going to vent my anger right here with my wife and I'm going to tell her off and then I can maybe apologize later. But this is what I got to get off my chest. No, that's terrible. That's selfish. That's wicked. That's not of God. So I have to remember what it does to me, what it does to my wife. Even if I do go say sorry, it still does something. What does it do to my girls? What do they see? What do they hear? Remember as well the blessings of obedience. Remember what saying yes to the kingdom of God does. Remember what saying no to your sin does. It may feel like tearing off the arm, but that's not the end of the story, is it? Remember the freedom and the intimacy that comes with God. I'm I'm, I'm mystified by how many people have never thought about the fact that their sin leads them away from intimacy with Christ. To put simply, So when I measure my sin, I now is, I don't know what the measuring stick is, but I still nonetheless measure it in terms of intimacy. This is going to to result in loss of intimacy with my father. Not because of anything on his doing, but because of my doing. And it can't help but do that. It's what I've chosen. I've chosen to harden my heart against God and do this on purpose. I've chosen to rebel against him and his kingdom and his ways. It can't help but do that. It's the nature of sin. And then Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, right? In Hebrews 11, he talks about all of these heroes of the faith. And in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We have a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. We have a great cloud of witnesses in here that know what discomfort is, that know what sacrifice is, that know struggle and pain, that know failure, that also know success. You are not alone in that stuff. You're not going to be the first person to say yes when you doubt yourself, and you're not going to be the last. And then resisting sin is a community project. You have to have accountability, period. There's not a single individual that doesn't need accountability. And you have to have accountability and people in your life to help you set up boundaries. And boundaries take forethought. They take planning. They take strategy. It's the simple illustration of like trying to fortify your walls of a castle once you're being stormed upon. It's too late. And too many of us do that. It's two couples, or two couples, or one couple, let's say one couple, you know, that's dating, and they're hanging out. It's 11 o'clock at night, and they're laying down on the couch watching a movie. It's a little too late to set up your boundary if you're laying down with your girlfriend at that point, and then you're, you're getting the temptation, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. 
But we get these silly notions that, oh, I'm strong enough, I'm tough, I'm tough enough. God wants me to overcome it on my own. That's not in Scripture. And that formula never works out in Scripture. Whatever your deal is, fortify your walls today. You want the kingdom of God today? Go home, go to lunch, fortify your walls with the community. Amen? And then I'll just wrap up here. I I do want to give a quick, before I close, just kind of a quick encouragement on baptism. We've had a lot of baptisms this season. And I would encourage you that if you're on the fence, um, whatever that looks like, that you would really seriously consider today, not necessarily doing it today, but consider today getting baptized. Stop waiting. Stop wondering if you need to know more, you need to get with somebody, you're not sure if you're truly wet ready, go have a conversation with somebody. But choose the kingdom of God today. Don't take that lightly. The axe is at the root of the tree. There's so much I wish I could say here, but we don't have time. But this is something that when I was talking with Ronnie just about our church, you know, he's somebody that meets with so many of you. So much of my time is spent with track people in particular now, and then also with Preston talking about CTF. So I don't get to spend time with as many people as I would like to in the small groups. But he was just telling me, how many people that he knows that haven't been baptized. That's not to shame those that haven't been baptized, right? We all, we, we, we all start there. But you have to ask yourself, what are you waiting for? And if it's to be good enough, you'll never get there. Don't make it about you. Make it about God. Do you believe that He is Lord and do you want to live your life for, the, for Him the rest of your life? If you can say yes to those things, go do it. Go do it. Get with somebody. Get a proper understanding of what that means. That you've considered the cost of what it means to be a disciple. And you're ready to do that. Go do it. Do it in your imperfection. And trust that He can handle your imperfection. Acts 22.16 What are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. Wash your sins away. So I just want to leave you with this encouragement. As you consider 2024, I hope that you pray and that you'll heavily weigh the decision laid at your feet here. What do you need to do in response to this warning and this invitation to a feast that we talked about last week with the king of the world? What needs to change in your life? What needs to change in your routine? What needs to change in your heart and your mind? I want to encourage you as I encourage my own self to step into the fullness of his kingdom, his power and his reign. Let God gather you into his people and may you live fully to help gather others. The axe is at the root of the tree. Choose today. You have no more time to delay. God, we love you so much. We thank you for this community. I just pray that you take this message and really work it into the hearts and minds of your people and that uh, we can all uh, step deeper into your image uh, that you so desire us to this next year. We love you. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Go in peace.